Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, chronicling the coming of Christ the King. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller and Ben Lawrence. Last couple of times that uh, Ben and I have got together, it was certainly recorded, but we did not post it. I thought that uh, that things that were covered in it were just uh, too well. I, I can't. I can't put words to it. So we're going to get together tonight and talk about a few things, and um, well, I, I think we're going to push the envelope just a little bit tonight. So with that in mind, uh, Ben, what brings us together tonight? Uh, you had a couple of ideas you called me about, so let's get this uh, show on the road. Well, it's good to be with you guys, and uh, just a, a little bit of a segue uh you know, Aaron, um, I am not easily impressed. You know, I've talked to people that at all levels, CEOs, heads of corporations, important people, and you and your brother, um, well, I'm impressed by both of you. Uh, your understanding of the scripture. Thank you. Uh, your, your respect for your father and your mother. Um, you are very special young men and, I don't think that the listener knows enough about your background. Um, how old are you again? I'm 19 now. 19 years old. And yeah. I, I would be lying if I said that Aaron does, he knows more about the Bible and practices it in his daily living more than men that are three times his age. Uh, he may only be 19 in the physical. But I assure you that his mother and father should be very proud of him, uh, just as they should be of his brother. They have done a fantastic job with these children. And I had a private conversation with Matthew and Aaron back in uh, over Thanksgiving, and I was amazed. Uh, I was amazed with, with just the depth of his knowledge, um, how deep he goes. Uh, he is... He's a very good steward of his time. Um, he's very responsible with his learning, and uh, he just has a wealth of knowledge way beyond his years. And honestly, Aaron, you push me. You push me to be a better steward of my time. Um, and I'm not usually, I mean, for me to be saying that about someone who's less than half my age is just, well, I mean, uh, I've got a lot of growing up to do. I'll just leave it at that. 
But, um, Matthew, you've done a wonderful job with your boys. And I hope tonight that the listener is able to get some additional insight into just how well you have done raising uh, your children. You and Rachel have done a fantastic job with you, with these children. And uh, tonight, uh, I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk with some of the mysteries of just the uh, basic information that often just goes unanalyzed, but in but in not looking at it, that you can you can fall into traps. You can you can um, not understand basic things. You're not lighting a path. You're not lighting the path that you're traveling down, and in doing so, you can fall into confusion. And uh, when we had had the conversation privately with Aaron a few weeks back, he had an incredible amount of knowledge and wisdom to illuminate on the uh, 12 tribes of Israel and how that how that list changes over time. And I thought that it would be great if we could get on there and just go over that. I really appreciate that, what you uh, had to say, but... Um... Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit, it's not easy for me at my age to fit in with anybody. Um, you know, talk to people my age and people older than me even, uh, cause, you know, I, I love to study, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> like even in, in my own time, I'm studying the Bible cause it, it's, it's fun for me. So, you know, I, I like to study that type of thing, but like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it separates me from most people, and that's—I'm not gonna lie about that. It really does. But you know, if if I'm gonna be ashamed of anything, it's not gonna be that. I'm, I am proud of the way that my my parents did raise me, and um, my dad did ignite a passion in me for the scripture, and I I appreciate him for that. And uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for both of you. Well, it certainly has been a journey. Uh, for both of you, um, I'll be very forthright. Uh, Aaron began to riddle me when he was six years old. Um, he had to know. Of course, we all do. And he always loved his, well, monsters. He just loved his monsters. He loved Godzilla. He loved uh, Gamera. Uh, you know, he just had to come to a firm understanding with what the Bible was talking about when he first heard of the Leviathan and the Behemoth. And it set him on a place. It set him in a certain crag in a rock uh, that he would stay. And, oh my goodness, the, the amount of times that he's asked me the same questions over and over in his cycle, not realizing that well, Daddy'd already explained all these things to him, but he didn't realize that he had went from six to nine. And that meant that he had to blow up that bubble one more time, and then he turned 12 and had to blow it up again. And he didn't realize what was happening. And by the same extrapolation, when I first met Ben, this is exactly the same type of situation. He asked me really tough questions and so very quiet in taking his answer. He would ask me something, I would respond, and everybody else didn't quite know how to take it because he would take it quietly. You could tell he was processing. His bubbles were quite a bit bigger 
but they still had to be blown up to the next size. So I appreciate uh, that these are the same exact steps that I took because everyone has to take them. If you're going to come to grips with what God said, if you really want to know what he said, and you are absolutely tired of everybody's entertaining lies, if you're tired of that, and if nothing is ringing true, if you start asking deeper questions, well, if that be true, why does the Bible say this? And of course, it doesn't take a person of faith very long to realize that what these people are saying does not ring true. It doesn't ring true. Half of what they say, half of what comes out of their mouth, makes no biblical sense at all because they're not quoting from the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They don't want to know the Bible or they are incapable of doing that type of linguistic research because this is what we're really talking about. And this is just the first thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah I actually have heard stuff about um, – I actually have had a professor – Admit to me, most people th people think and know about Satan actually comes from Paradise Lost. And how you've mentioned this before, how it's so hard to teach people about eschatology because of what they've been taught by the Omen movies. Well, this is, this is just the way it is, and this is why most people never get to the past the linguistics, because alphanumerically, it will blow your mind. I mean, just Ezekiel chapter uh, 24 and uh, the pi ratio will rattle your cage. God impregnated Ezekiel chapter 24 with the pi ratio. So most people, uh, they get caught in these snares, these cunningly devised fable, not eschatology, not edification, but pure entertainment. Pure entertainment. I mean... I remember when I first uh, did a, a really hard broadcast on this, and, and, and I let everybody know that, well, you need to know where jackal comes from. That comes from one of the new translations. Uh, uh, they twisted a Hebrew word around, and uh, this is how – this is why Damien, uh, his mother, what you call the Antichrist – by the way, it's not Antichrist. It's, it's false prophet, but you actually think in your mind that uh, – uh, Damien's mother was a jackal, and you didn't re even realize that, no, this was done with an English translation, not the Hebrew, certainly not the Greek. And I got a lot of bombastic response for that because they couldn't believe that they were quoting for that. And, of course, Damien in that series, of course, said rapture. He quoted uh, uh, the joyful rapture that uh, his – well, his father was going to bring Satan. So – Finally, after three or four days, I had to get online, get the manuscript, uh, uh, and paste the exact quote, what scene it was, of when Damien had said these things and when the jackal was revealed when they went to the graveyard. The whole pathetic entertainment uh, menagerie that they, these people were living in, that they were calling themselves eschatologists. Prophecy experts, oh no, they weren't. They were living in a menagerie of entertainment. So a lot of what the Bible has to offer, they never even get – they never get past the linguistics of it. They can't 
cross the threshold to get to the well, the alphanumerics of it. And of course, you can't do that unless you come to terms with both the Hebrew and the Greek, because they're both true. It's beyond uh, what we can well cram into our little bitty brains, but that is the truth. So uh, Ben, when you said <clears throat> when you said differences between geneal genealogies, I mean the the tribes of Israel, were you referring to the genealogies of Jesus? That's one aspect of it um, that is important. But uh, what I was referring to is that you, you have a list there in Revelation, which is uh, different than the list that you have in Genesis 49 or the list that you have in uh, Deuteronomy, um, you have a different, um, you have a tribe added and you have another one taken out. Um, and I find that interesting. Uh, so, so, uh, this is, this is what it is. Um, the tribe of Dan has been completely removed from the book of Revelation. That's why people think that the Antichrist or the false prophet will be descended from the tribe of Dan. It's because his, that, that tribe is removed from the 144,000. The tribe is replaced very with very interesting skills. So in, the, in Genesis, of course, we, the, the 12 tribes are uh, after Jacob's 12 sons. Okay? But Joseph, who was Joseph, who was Jacob's favorite son, had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. They were called; those are known as subtribes. So Joseph's tribe is divided into subtribes. According to Revelation, these two tribes, subtribes, become tribes. They're they're counted among the twelve. So instead of Ephraim, it says Joseph. It says the tribe of Joseph, and then it counts Manasseh as a separate tribe. And this gives you the number 12, and yet Dan is missing. So really, so I remember actually trying to study this, and I was like, who's missing here? Like, like I was like, there are 12 here, but there's no Dan. That, that was the game that a very, very interesting way that the vision that John saw was was put together and w with the implications of that that it, it is assumed that Dan did that this tribe of Dan had something to do with it but we the, the only implication of what it means seems to go uh, back to the Old Testament where there's there's in Deuteronomy it says that a lion's whelp will come out from the tribe of Dan, which seems to imply that there will be a Messiah that comes up from Dan. I believe that Jesus fulfilled this this prophecy by being a Nazarite, by by which uh, Samson was Samson was of the tribe of Dan, and he judged Israel as a judge, literally. And he was Samson. So Samson as a Nazarite. Was was that? But Jesus fulfilled that same prophecy of being like Samson in, in a sense that he that he had the that he had the Nazarite vow. But like with that, 
that means that that there's a possibility that that someone would come up from Dan. And in Genesis, Jacob himself gives a pretty interesting prophecy about Dan. It says that he will be a serpent in the way, biting the heel of the horse. So when when it says that, it seems to point directly back to Genesis chapter 3, when it says that the serpent would bruise the heel of man, and man would bruise his head. So this is a this is a prophecy. So people don't realize this is dualistic. It took me a while to finally realize this. Okay, when in, in Genesis chapter three it says, "See, God is cursing the serpent," and He says, "I will put enmity between this, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent." And He says, "He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." So I was like. But if this is a prophecy, wouldn't it say the seed of man, which is Jesus, would bruise his head last? But no, it gives an eschatology. This is saying that there is a fulfillment of prophecy. First, the serpent's head was crushed. That was Jesus rising from the dead. But then there is something that will come where the serpent will bruise the heel of man. And this is, who is the seed of the serpent? This is the false prophet rising up. And this is implied with Jacob's prophecy about Dan. So me and my dad did a hardcore study. The only time, only reason why Dan would be cut out of the 12 tribes seems to be from the last chapters of Judges, where in Judges, a man of Ephraim just, which which was the son of Ephraim being a son of Joseph. So a man of Ephraim made an idol. To me, it seems like he tried to make an idol of uh, the true God, you know, however you want to say his name. But, like, he tried to make an idol of, of God, and he got a Levite to be the priest. But when these Danites came and found the idol, they took it and worshipped it in their city. So, with that being said, it seems that this this is some sort of tie-in. Is, is it, it giving the implication that the Messiah will come out of Dan or Ephraim? And if it was Ephraim, that would that would play in interesting with the with the uh, Jewish idea of uh, Messiah ben Joseph, the Messiah son of Joseph, which is more specifically Messiah son of Ephraim. So, what's your thoughts about that? Well, Ben, you want to take that first? Well, I, I think it's good to just give the listener um, a little bit, make it clear to them. When you say Genesis, you're referring to Genesis 49, the blessings and the curses. Is that that's what you're referring to? Yes, that's what I'm referring to, chapter 49. Okay. So let me let me just read that real quick so that the the listener has some context here. So. Genesis 49, starting in, in verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's the next thing. Um, so he's going to judge and then he's going to be like a serpent a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels. 
And the reference that you made to Judges, that would be Judges 18, correct? Yes, that, that's what you're referring to. Okay. So with that statement, are we saying that this is among the last chapters of uh, the book of Judges? I, I, I didn't think to prepare, but... That's okay. That's okay. We're just having a conversation. But, it, but this refers to an incident between this Ephraimite and the Danites. And in the book of Revelation, um, Ephraim is elevated. He's called, instead of Ephraim, the tribe of Joseph. Well, I, I guess if you could call that an elevation, but um, yeah, that happens. And then Daniel is completely, Dan is completely erased from the, from the list. So, do you think this does refer to a messiah? I mean, a false, uh, a false messiah, or uh, if so, which one is it coming from? Is it coming from Ephraim or Dan? What does this whole event of the Danites taking the idol from the Ephraimite mean? Because ultimately, the Ephraimite is the one who makes the idol, and then the Danites just take it. So. In essence, it is Ephraim that is tempting Israel to sin well, just like, remember Balak and Balaam? That's exactly what is said of them, that they're the one that caused the temptation. So here we have clear reference to that. I mean, the sin lied with Ephraim, correct? And the Danites just took it. Ephraim's the one that thought it up. With force, actually, they threatened and stole it and the and this priest. Just to make sure everybody is on the same page. The Orthodox Jews are waiting for two, not one. They are waiting for a Messiah son of David and a Messiah son of Joseph. One of these are going to die in what you call Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, we need to consider something that, well... Uh, I'm going to bring up something that Aaron shared uh, last night. I hadn't talked with him about this, but this is pretty apropos that it, it's it's time that this needs to be talked about because I've, I've already brought everybody up to speed about the Moazim. You can find it right, well, in any resources. They firmly believe that what Antiochus Epiphanes was worshipping was a group of god gods that they called the Moazim. That's a historical fact. Now, when you go to Psalms chapter 60 and verse 7, it says some pretty bad things uh, uh, there in the Hebrew that everybody should, should know. Because it... it Look, ladies and gentlemen, it literally comes out and said that Ephraim is a Muaz. That's a very bad implication, and you begin to put two and two and two together. Look. More specifically, it says that Ephraim is God's Muaz, yes. Muaz, yeah. So the significance of this the calling what this Maaz is, so I think it's more accurately pronounced Maoz, but you know, 
were English. So this this word actually it finds its root in the Hebrew word azaz, or I mean it, it is the same root word as the name Azazel, which we have talked about a lot. The great fallen angel of old. He uh, is the beast from the sea, according to the book of Revelation. So, when we say that, the when he is called uh, Ameaz, this is usually pronounced in translation as fortress. In the book of Daniel, the false prophet is referred to as making a setting up that he worships a god of the of fortresses or Maazim, which my dad did mention earlier. It just means a, a god of fortresses. When you go a chap earlier in the chapter, we are met with the king of the north and the king of the south fighting over a fortress. It seems they, this fortress is simply called the Maos. And in my works, I've, I've mentioned how I write my own fiction at times, and I ref- I decided that what if I just refer to the Maoz as referring to the false prophet? What if this is... I gathered together a theory about Daniel chapter 11 that the king of the north and the king of the south fighting refers to uh, the forces of Satan, and that Satan's Satan, the book of Revelation says that Satan has seven angels, uh, seven kings, quote-unquote. These are represented by his heads. He's, he's given seven, the dragon is described as having seven heads. It says five have fallen in Revelation chapter 17. Five have fallen, one is, and one is yet to come. So, my interpretation, the, the only, there are only two that remain here on this earth. Two of them uh, five of them are bound in the abyss. So, with that being said, who are uh, these two? I always describe them as the king of the, the king of the south. I always called Abaddon, and the king of the north I called Belial. I simply just apply those names by scriptural references of other beings who have been given this name, and I actually find uh, finds quite some grounds in the scripture, those, those names, but I'm not going to stand completely on them. I know that these two are, these two entities, Abaddon and Belial, are at play, but I don't know for sure which one is which, King of the North and King of the South. So when, so when I say this, these two angels are fighting because one of Satan's angels, it says one of the, one of his princes will will rebel and obtain abstinency over him and obtain a great dominion. So one of Satan's angels will rebel against him and basically find his, uh, make his own army, and they've been fighting for a long time. And I interpreted what was going on in Daniel chapter 11 was this, this huge war was basically about breeding their own Messiah. These two sides have been at war for a while because they've been trying to produce their own Messiah by which they would obtain abstinency over the other. And this Messiah, I'm not sure what Satan is 
doing when he's trying to produce a messiah of his own. I'm assuming it's some perfect Nephilite, but this is, according to theory, this is what the Antichrist is supposed to be. The the false prophet is supposed to be a messiah for angels, I guess. Some sort of perfect, uh, a perfect Nephilite. So this, this, uh, and when I took the word fortress and interpreted it as Maoz, what if every time it says Maoz, it's referring to, that's the name for the their Messiah, their false Messiah. Okay, so with this, all of this said, with the, uh, the Maoz is something that they've been looking for for a long time and something they've been working at for a long time. The forces of Satan have been trying to breed this. Perhaps this is what's going on with all of these alien abductions, these so-called alien abductions, doing these tests on people, especially with reproductive um, uh, functions of humans. Perhaps they are trying to breed this, this, false, this false Christ, and why they would pick specifically certain people for this process. So, with all of that, so who is this... So is this saying that Ephraim is the Maos, or does it, is it saying that the Ephraim has the Maos? We know if the Ephraim is, if there is some sort of so-called Messiah to come from Ephraim at all, then I don't know. What does this mean to you? How, how do you interpret this? Let, let me reinforce what happens in the book of Judges. A man of Ephraim makes an idol out of silver. He gets a, a Levite to be his, the priest for this idol. I think, I don't know for sure, but it seems that he's he made this idol for God, the true God. But we, I mean, the scripture seems to imply that God doesn't want an idol made of him, but it seems that that's what he was trying to do. I'm not entirely sure, but like he he made a uh, he had a Levite priest. How I've mentioned before in shows that Levites are, of course, they are the priestly line. The line of priests have come from the tribe of Levi. So, if that's with that being said, it, it seems that this that this man was trying to make an idol of God, and these Danites threaten him and take the idol from, by force from him to worship it. So, if we were to put this in prophetic perspective, who is Ephraim, the man of Ephraim in this, in this aspect? Who are the Danites and who is this idol in a prophetic eschatological you know, interpretation? Ben, what say you? What do you think these things prophetically mean? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit, and I and I don't mean to be disruptive at all, but um, I approach this a little bit differently, but we may end up in the same place. Um, Revelation 21 clearly says that the 12 gates have the names of the 12 disciples, and we know that Acts opens up with the um, Judah being replaced, right? Um, and so I kind of I approach this 
from that perspective, and um, to your point about uh, Ephraim, I find it interesting that Psalm 60 mentions the scepter. Judah is my scepter. Um, Matthew, we've talked privately about how the serpent entered into Judas um, prior to him engaging in this act that ultimately led to the crucifixion of the Christ. And I, I, um, I think that those are very important um, contextual pieces for trying to, to understand um, what this means and why these, why these tribes are, are listed differently. And you're, and you're like referring to the prophetic interpretation of the name Judas? Because Judas is is the Greek rendering of the name Judah. Is that what you're referring to? No, I wasn't going there with it. I was going simply with the fact that just the the number the numberology of it, which is you you always are sticking with this twelve, right? We're we're always sticking with this twelve, and when and um, if if Judas is out, then someone else had to come in and replace him. So if uh, Dan is out, then someone has to come in and replace him, right? Yes, I, I would agree. Uh, it is the number that must hold true. Yeah, because the numbers are not going to change. We've got 12 gates, and, and he clearly says that that um, that the names of the disciples are, are on each of those gates, just as he says the, the 12 tribes are listed on each of those gates, if memory serves me correct. I believe that's well, what it says. Well, what the what Revelation does is it elevates the sub-tribes of Joseph to mm-hmm. tribes, to full tribes. Correct. That's what it does. And and by doing that, it is able to replace Dan. Correct. So that suggests to me that there's something wrong with, with Dan in this picture. Um, there's something very wrong there. But I digress. Well... Let's look at this another way, shall we? Uh, let's let's look at this another way. Um, Genesis chapter four, verse twenty-two. As for Zilhah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nehemiah. Is this what we're looking at here? Is this what they're trying to create? Is this what they're going after? Are they looking for? Oh, uh, a trait. Nama is uh, referred to oddly here as the sister of Tubal Cain, and when you uh, throw out rabbinic uh, legend, Nama is always referred to as a wife of Azazel or Samael, one of the two. She is referred to as uh, what me and my dad call the cloven, uh, a, a woman who has become part. Uh, partly infused with angelic DNA by having intercourse, intimate intercourse with an angel and having a child through that. Uh, I wanted to point out that just the, how how interesting it was for you to mention that verse specifically. Well, I was mentioning it for other reasons. More importantly, that we all know that, that certain uh, genetic traits, uh, well, makes for different, uh, uh, Groups of stock that are better for different things. Uh, we all know this. That uh, well, let's talk about Norwegians. Uh, they are hardy and they can take very cold weather. 
Okay, this is just a matter of fact, what I'm bringing out. So is this what they're looking for? This, this Ephraim holds the blood type, uh, whether it be you know A positive or O negative, or whatever it is, because we know that uh, 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 that every uh, every genetic group carries its own implements. Okay, this is just a matter of fact. It's just that's just the way it is. Okay, so perhaps the uh, could we say in this instance uh, that the idol that was made is the false prophet. Ephraim, the Ephraimite makes the idol. The Danites take the idol. So symbolically, this false prophet is, is this saying that it's neither? It's neither Ephraim or Dan, or is it saying that he is an Ephraimite, but the Danites take him and use him for this purpose? Well, either or. It could also be saying that, uh, well, the image is in the genetic code of Ephraim. Now, that doesn't mean Ephraim has anything to do with this, and we just talked about this yesterday. Israel is the in vitro capital of the world. Now, they just released that three babies were born, genetically altered, and they prosecuted those individuals that did it. Okay, so let me make myself clear. What these fallen are looking for is the genetic makeup. Of Ephraim. That doesn't mean that any Ephraimite does anything bad. What it does mean is that somebody takes those genes, edits, and creates what you and I would call the Uber man. It's what they termed it in Germany. But you're literally talking about a super soldier uh, if you're wanting to use the uh, way of the entertainment industry. What is needed is whatever is inside of Dan or Ephraim's genetic code. And somebody else, albeit in this representation, it obviously means Dan. Dan takes that genetic code and creates an Uberman, a Superman, a perfect well, they're trying to forge a perfect atom that has no damaged code. They're trying to create a first atom is what they're trying to do. Well, couldn't it simply be a reference to the geneticist that does the work in Tel Aviv? I mean, it could literally be that simple, or Mount Sinai, or any other thing, right? That's Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. That's exactly what I meant. We have uh, Ephraim's uh, genetic code being played with in those in vitro fertilization hospitals by those doctors – and they have done exactly what these other jokers got prosecuted for. And, well, what they're trying to do is create a perfect man that has no a downgraded DNA. Now, for what? Will his blood type be compatible with the fallen? I mean, let's just say that what happens when the fallen arrive, well... I mean, they're trapped here. They can't go back up, correct? That means they're on a ticking time clock. And is this Ephraimite blood 
phenotype? Is it what their blood can be transfused with? I'll just come out and say it. Did you understand what I just said? Yeah. And this is how this false prophet Assyrian is able to exercise dominion over them because you don't have to – we're not going to debate. God's word says that he has the power to trample the host of heaven, and that is what he's going to do. And when it says that, it seems that somehow he's the one who unifies these two divisions in the house of Satan. He unifies them to make war in heaven. That's what it seems to me because it says in Daniel that he would rise up into the heavens and cast down some of the stars cast down of the host of heaven and trample them down. That's what my dad's referring to. And well, that's exactly how Psalm 60 opens up. It talks about the right. uh, tottering. Amen? Yeah, yes, it does. I'll add this. Um, recall that um, you know David did put on Saul's armor and decided that it didn't fit. And really, I mean, you could you could say that in this inversion of that tale, the Perhaps the armor does fit. It is fortified, and that's how he's able to take control over those over those armies. Because right. um, that's literally why David didn't didn't use it. He thought he would have a better chance if he used what he was familiar with. Well, let's let's talk about this. We, we've talked about this before. Okay. Uh, now, Aaron, you and I have talked about this in private. What is an angel sword? What is it? Well, by all intents and purposes, it is a tool. You can prove that absolutely with the scripture. What it really is, is a tool. Now, what is? An angel sword. Yeah. It's a tool. It's an implement. That's what it is. So, this being the case, is that what this is saying? Is that this specific genetic type is able to wield an angel sword. By way of extrapolation, what I yeah. said earlier, that also means that his that his blood is transfusable with the fallen. Yeah, we we with the show that that me and my dad did in Christian conspiracy theory, we talked about how genetic uh, we talked about the genetics of the false prophet. Um, we could, we have no like DNA evidence, but we but we you know theorized how things would work. And with the with that study, we we came up with that how um, somewhere down along the chain he could have the same genetic identity as an angel uh, SS. Um, he has two S's in his uh, his sex identity so so when when i say sexual identity it, this would be the same as how, how i determined an angels would be so he genetically would be an angel but he would still have human aspects and with that it would be a perfect inversion and corruption of uh, what jesus was you now when jesus was born um he was completely God and completely man. But the thing about him was, is that he had no father. So he 
as far as genetics go, he wouldn't have had a Y chromosome, which is which is uh, only males have the Y chromosome, uh, unless if you're uh, unless it's a genetic mutation. So uh, it's possible that one of his chromosomes was supernaturally transformed, but if that did not happen, Jesus would have had an XX sexual identity, just the same as his mother, because his mother was the only one who, you know, uh, gave him genes at all. So Jesus would have actually had uh, a female uh, sexual identity, even though he was male. When I say that, it's that is possible for males to have an XX chromosome uh, identity. It just means that they're sterile. So um, that actually adds some interesting parts about Jesus to why he would have, uh, why he never had children. Would I mean ultimately? Yeah. Well, ultimately that would be a huge problem in our theology if that was so. But if you look at the genetics of it, Jesus couldn't have been able to have children. Well, is this the whole purpose for the transfiguration? Or was this the purpose of him being filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized? Is that when the why was switched on? Because... I don't know. Right, right. We don't know. <laughs> purely purely speculation, but... But when I say that, I, but with my interpretation, I think this is saying that didn't happen. That Jesus lived with in uh, with an XX identity. He was not a female. He was a male. But but sexually, uh, on his you know, if you if you were to take some of his DNA and look at it, it would be it would be an XX. Uh, he would have the XX chromosomes, and, and he would not have a Y. So uh, this uh, is reflected in the false Messiah when he has an SS. He doesn't have an SY, which most which um, most uh, Nephilim would have. He would have an SS, which would be identical to an angel. This would only be achieved through a long time of breeding, a lot of interbreeding too. Well, the goal being what Jesus was. What was Jesus? He was entirely God, entirely man. What's their goal? Their goal is him being entirely man. An entirely angel, which is exactly what we've been talking about. And we can see this back to Satan's theology. What was Satan's theology? Because when he said, "You will become," when you, in Genesis chapter three, he said to Eve, "When you eat of it, you will become like gods, knowing good and evil." I don't think he was saying he would become like God himself. He was saying he would become like gods. And when you see that with the Septuagint's translation of, you know, interpretation of Hebrew scriptures, that the word Elohim was also rendered for angels. To them, an angel could say that when it says he's God and man, he could say he's angel and man, because the name Elohim can also apply to angels. Especially right. to a satanic figure who sees them as gods, sees angels as gods. This This physical construct is holy angel and holy man, like you just said. Instead of having an XX or an XY, it is an SS. So if anybody wants more info on that, me and Aaron did the whole shindig. Uh, just just look up the cloven. You'll, you'll find it in Christian Conspiracy Theory. Um, so that being said, is this 
why Ephraim is the fortress or the helmet, the crown, so to speak, on the head of this dragon. Literally, that's, well, basically what, what, what was just come out and said. So I wanted to point out something that um, was was mentioned a while back. We we talked about the how the death and resurrection of the false prophet, um, and I found an implication of it in Isaiah chapter twenty three verse fourteen. It says, "Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is destroyed." The word for stronghold is Maos. And also interesting, the word for whale here is the same word used for what our tra many translations say is Lucifer in Isaiah chapter four, 14, verse 12. Hail, hail. Is, is, is spelled very similarly to this word hail, uh, whale. It's a word game on, uh, on, on words. Yeah, yes, it can it also appears to reflect the word halal, which means to shine in Hebrew, but it also reflects this word to wail in its spelling, its peculiar spelling. So this is pretty interesting here. And is this referring to the ships from Kittim, which come to basically end him? Well, and let's think metaphorically. Ships are used to do what? They're used to transport through waters, and waters are a metaphor for peoples and tongues and right and i'm wondering if when we're saying the reinforced helmet if that's nothing more than a reference to a legal mechanism that doesn't cause a sodom and gomorrah event oh man uh boy that boy that that takes me back uh boy you're you're saying they're looking for another loophole yeah exactly Finding a loophole didn't work too well for him in Sodom and Gomorrah. God nuked it. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what we're saying. They're looking for another loophole. Well, they're looking for the eye of that needle. And the one that can pass through it, of course, is the Assyrian false prophet. That's what Jesus was alluding to. That's what makes sense to me. Because there's nothing that you're going to build which is going to withstand the host of heaven, which you would have to build, is, is a legal argument that um, God himself, would, being lawful, would, would not um, undo. Well, I tell you what, you know, the more we talk about it, the more... That'd be your only hope. <laughs> well, you know, the more you talk about it, the more those 12 verses in Psalm 61 is just stabbing me in the back of my head. Um <laughs> And I think that's why he lists, he literally comes out and says, Judah is my scepter, because we've talked about this privately. Again, um, that staff, I mean, the staff is an inversion of the serpent, and and we know this, Garden of Gethsemane, um, Garden of Eden, we know that, that, there, that, that you should be expecting that serpent whenever you see transitions in authority. So did any of you see that... Uh, Psalms chapter 60 verse 7 is repeated in Psalms 108 verse 8. I was not going to bring that up. The exact um, same thing is said. Yes, the exact same thing is said. I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> um, oh, man. 
um, it's amazing how things just kind of you think the tide's coming in, but lo and behold, you know it's it's the tide is in, and wait a minute, it it keeps coming, and you wind up with a tsunami on your hands. Well, verse nine's repeated as well. Okay, we don't want to go there. Yes. Time. Oh, 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 no, son, you done you done open the dike, so we're going to go there. So, um, Ben, let's read uh, the twelve verses of uh, Psalms chapter sixty. And uh, let's come to grips with that, and then we're going to jump over there to that other reference. So, Aaron, get ready to read that one, okay? So, we're going to see what's going on here. So, uh, Ben, if you would please, Psalms okay. chapter 60. Do you have a translation preference, or? I do not. Okay. Uh, I'll do the NASB, if that's okay. Uh, oh, God, you have rejected us. You have broken us. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of truth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. I will exalt. I will portion out Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the helmet of my head, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbowl, over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Shout, O Philistia, because of me, who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? Oh, give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our adversaries. So, just so Aaron knows, this is the chapter in question where they refer to where we currently live. They say that this is where God lost his sandal. This is where it comes from, verse 8. Um, boy, this had a lot to say. It had a whole lot to say when you read it and you realize, oh my goodness. Um, and I appreciate that you didn't read the introduction there. Your your translation probably didn't have it. Um, and this is all Are you about, sure you're talking about the same chapter? Some yes, chapter I'm, 60? Yeah. I'm in Psalms. Okay. Yes, I'm definitely in Psalms chapter 60. Uh, 60. Uh, the opening diatribe was not in his translation. Um, for the choir director, according to Shushan Iduth, that he, he didn't read that. He started with, oh, God, you have rejected us. So uh, there is no way you can get around verse 2. This is after the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. Verse 2 is Isaiah chapter 24. It is. that It can be no other thing. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. That is talking about the late great planet Earth. That is what it's talking about. Anyway, everything this thing talks about is being delivered into the hand of the axe, um, which is just kind of disturbing. I'd like to uh, point out the significance of these, um, of all these uh, places mentioned Shechem. I'll uh, I'll portion out Shechem. Shechem is the uh, one of the people who uh, uh, 
who helped Abimelech and had war against. This was in the yes. Book of Judges, chapter 9. A reference to the Bramble King. Yeah. yeah, that's the Bramble King, ladies and gentlemen. That's a prophecy of the Bramble King. That's why that was said first. Go ahead, Aaron. Then we have the Valley of Sukkoth. Sukkoth basically means tabernacles or tents. It's, it's pointing to the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which Scripture implies that that's where Je- when Jesus was born was during the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. When, when the in John chapter one, where it says uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, when it says dwelt, the, the the wording implies he pitched his tent or tabernacle among us, or he pitched his sukkah with us. Yes, so this would be in reference to that prophecy when God comes and tabernacles with us. This is in reference to the human shell. His incarnation, yes. Yes, his incarnation. I'm just going to point out, and we say this all the time, uh, many of the traditional uh, evangelical in this country are looking for a third temple to be built in Israel. And we routinely say, no, you should be expecting a tabernacle. You're going to get a tabernacle before you get a temple. Um, so go on, but that's that's exactly what that's talking about. Okay, so uh, about Gilead. Um, I'm going to say I don't know anything about Gilead. Uh, do you, Ben? Um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, I would have a hard time summarizing that. I, I am familiar with it, but it's not—it's not coming to me what what to say in this context. Okay, I'll I'll leave that for later study. Um, but but you are suggesting that it has great importance. Oh, absolutely. But I'm I'm trying to think of what I would say about it here. Okay. Well, Manasseh—it says Manasseh is mine. Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim are the sub-tribes of Joseph. It says, Judah is my scepter. Judah being the uh, the forefather of Jesus. Moab is my washbowl. Moab seems to be the father of the um, bloodline by which Judas Iscariot descended. Uh, I see this with uh, where they say uh, in his name Iscariot. Iscariot um, means Ishkarioth. Kerioth was uh, seems to be a capital of Moab. So to me, to me, it seems to be implying that Judas Iscariot was uh, ha- was a blood relative of Moab. Just going to put that out there. Sure, and and I would I would add that Moab is also a reference to I think to some of the things we've been talking earlier about the Neph- Nephilim, uh, because these are. Um, it's really a sick perversion, right? Because these were children of uh, of Lot that he did not intend to have with his own uh, children, right? Yep, incest. Yeah, um, and, and we're told in Deuteronomy that God gave certain regions to the Moabites and the Ammonites, who were descended from uh, Lot's children by his daughters, uh, which. It says that God literally knew, uh, set fire, turned the giants on fire who were living in those areas, so that the Moabites and Ammonites could live there, and the and the people of Israel were not allowed to take over those places because God gave it to them. Right, 
And of course, uh, the Ruth is a descendant of Moab, right? And so we can trace right. the line of David and, and of course, uh, the Christ uh, down through that through that line. And Matthew, uh, the first chapter goes into that in some detail. And Edom, over Edom, I will throw my shoe. Edom is the other name of Esau. Esau is the twin brother of Jacob. Right. Uh, and ultimately, it's, it's said that it's in a battle with. Interestingly enough, it's the Jews believe that it's in a battle with Edom, the Edomites, that the Messiah, son of Joseph, will die. And well, then, oh, go ahead. How about the the throwing my shoe? I mean. Isn't your sandal the thing that's supposed to be used um, to redeem? You're not going to be able to redeem anything if you just threw your shoe away. So it's, it would appear to me that this is this is uh, at least hinting at something that I've often believed, and I think there are, there's biblical proof to support that um, on the, the day of the great earthquake, that wherever you are spiritually is... Um, determinative of, of where you're going to end up with the exception of martyrs. Right on. It says, or Philistia, I will shout aloud. Philistia is, uh, or the land of the Philistines, um, well, uh, our word for Philistine isn't really, I mean, if you say the Philistines to people nowadays, they don't really connect two and two. It is the same as Palestinian. Right. Well, this is the same word in Hebrew or just Semitic languages. If you break it down, it's the same word. Um, so this is Palestine. And Palestine has throughout history been the arch nemesis of Israel. It is It was where the giants were living. This is where they thrived. We know that that's, that's basically where the, the giants were able to survive during the time of David uh, until they were... Uh, eventually exterminated or died out. So Philistia is, and we still see oh, the war between Philistia and uh, Israel. It, it's, it's other nations have tried to divide it, Israel, to into Palestine. So, uh, so, so that's the significance of these of these uh, places mentioned here. It's. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more than just what I mentioned, but those, those are just the things that come to my head. Well, and, and there is a reference to Edom um, being um, the stars, right? Uh, there is a reference. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but there is a reference to that, and I'm just wondering if Moab and Edom isn't the two uh, factions that eventually get unified that you, we were talking about earlier, if that isn't uh, a wordplay on a reference to those two factions of the uh, fallen. Hmm. Interesting point there. I mean, it's we. If you go back to uh, the books of Kings, it's mentioned that Hadad the Edomite was quote unquote a Satan, which God, which was raised up against Solomon. If uh, me and my dad did a show on that too. It's uh, Solomon the Exorcist, Exorcist and the Demon Asmodeus. If you want to look at that, it's in Christian conspiracy theory. Uh, that's, what, that's all I'm going to go into there. But it says it calls this Edomite a Satan in Hebrew and Greek. The, the Greek renders it as 
transliterates the word as Satan. So um, there might be consistency to what you're saying that that, that it refers to the unity unification of those uh, those two factions in the armies of Satan. Well, we we know what this is prophetically called in the book of Obadiah. It is called Mount Esau. When these factions get together, it produces Mount Esau. Uh, more information, read the, the book of Obadiah. Um, let's get to this other chapter that has these verses, gentlemen. Um, Aaron, you brought this up, so um, go ahead and take a read of that chapter if you are ready. Okay. This is Psalms 108. It says, A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing, I will sing praises even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For you, your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save your right hand and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will exult. I will portion out Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I will throw my shoe. Over Philistia I will shout out loud. Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? Will you not go forth with your with our armies, O God? Oh, give us help against the adversary. For deliverance by man is vain. Though God is, will, through God we will do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our adversaries. So with this, uh, it's, it's basically uh, one big half of this chapter is basically word by word a quote of the one that was just read. Chapter 60. But something that stands out to me is, Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. This, in Hebrew, has so many implications. The word awake is ur, where we get our word for... This is referred to in, in the book of Daniel. The, uh, the, the watchers is a rank of angels. In the book of Enoch, they are... This is the name of the fallen angels, is the Watchers. It says, Harp and Lear, and, and among these words uh, is, is Nibel. In, in Hebrew, that is a sort of instrument. The same one mentioned in Isaiah chapter 14 as the, the, the instrument that seems to be the instrument that the fallen angel himself played. It's, it's, it's uh, mentioned in his in his in the verses mentioning him. And it says, Awaken the dawn. The word for dawn is shikar. And we know that the, the famous verse for uh, Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, uh, Lucifer, or Halel, son of the dawn, the word for dawn is shikar. So this verse right here is direct references to Azazel. Well, Aaron, let me ask you this. Uh, what about verse 6? Um, what does a beloved do to you? That your beloved well, may be delivered. Uh, angelically speaking. Save me, with, yeah, save me with your right hand. Uh, 
save your right hand and answer me. Um, okay, so the significance of this is ultimately Jesus, when God said, when the Father said, when Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Is this referring to Jesus ultimately when it says, your beloved may be delivered, save your right hand for who sits at his right hand, and answer me. Is this referring to Jesus? But in the book of Enoch, this word beloved is also used in reference to the sons of the fallen angels. The scripture, it's not constantly says, calls the the, the sons of the watchers their quote-unquote beloved, because they are their messiahs, in a sense. They are their beloved sons. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he literally just told you, and he, well, he literally come out and told you about the male child that was taken to heaven, uh, the Emmanuel Elohim in Hebrew. Um, the entire manual prophecies, the primus ascendimus, the Moshe'in. I mean, I just mentioned it earlier, uh, the entire book of Obadiah, that's what it's about. There's tribulation, and of course we know what are the first thing these things uh, that, that, that sprout up around their entrance onto Mount Zion. Of course, they sing a new song. Nobody can touch it. Amen. I was just getting ready to say that. Uh, verse 2 starts right off giving you a hint, if you have a clue, that we're talking about the exa the antithesis of what the 144,000 are oh, going to right. be doing. We're, we're talking about the replacement that was swept out of the heavens with the tail of Satan. This is who replaces them. No doubt about it. He literally just told you what got delivered. And this completely mimics – all right, let's just go to the proof text. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 26, and I'll read it to you, and it says this exact same type of verbiage. Uh, there's just no way uh, uh, around what these mothers say. Um, they cry out uh, because they're – well, they're distraught. They, they don't understand what it is that's just happened. But um, you go to Isaiah chapter uh, 26. And, uh, O oh Lord, uh, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Uh, your chastening was upon them. Of course, that's what that chapter was talking about, um, and they were asking for deliverance. Verse 17, as the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she rises and cries out in labor pains. Thus we were before you, O oh Lord. We were pregnant. We rised in labor. We gave birth as it seems only to wind. We could not accomplish what? deliverance for the earth, nor were the inhabitants of the world born. Of course, verse 19 goes and tells you about Primus Resurrexerit. Uh, comes right out and tells you who's going to rule uh, here on planet earth during the millennial reign of Christ. But there's no way around it. God literally just come out and told you with Psalms 108 what's exactly going to happen. And you have to realize that, that this is literally telling you uh, the elements here, uh, chapter 60 and chapter 108. It's telling you, well, time is being divided. Time is being divided. So literally when other people look at this, they, they just kind of scratch their head like, man, yeah, half, half the chapter is the same. But they don't have no idea what's, what's taking place. One explains to you what just got happened in the heavenlies. The other just explained to you what happened on the late great planet Earth. That's what these two chapters did. Gave you the same exact instance. One 
uh, as, uh, uh, well, one below the other as above, or however you want to phrase it. That's what it just did. So comments, gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, the the tonality uh, in 108 is a whole lot more positive um, than 60. I wanted to uh, expand on the scepter of Judah. Um, So you go into the Hebrew, and the word H2710, chakak, and it means literally to engrave. Inscribe or cut out. Is this referring to genetic inscription? Could it mean that? Well, it certainly could. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to confirm that. Yes? Well, well, I'm going to say... Well, it goes straight back to Genesis chapter 49 with the uh, prophecy of, of Jacob. Verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until... Philo comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And I will, I, my mind was further blown by Proverbs 8, verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. When, in verse 29, when he set about, see its boundary, so that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Yes. This inscribing goes straight back to yes. creation, the oh, yeah. foundations of the earth. Yeah. Well, to your point, I mean, we know that everything was placed in its place uh, when it was named, and those boundaries were defined. Uh, and so we're literally talking about authorities and dominions right. and, and positions. Right, which we mentioned this before, gentlemen, what you're trying to say in beating around the bush, let me just let me just set the bush on fire. You're talking about Adam. You're talking about the perfect genetic makeup. It was Adam who God granted dominion. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about Adam. You're talking about the first man that was literally forged by God's own hands. This is what they're after. Yeah. And more ultimately, they're going for the image of God. And I have come to believe that that refers to the Trinitarian nature of man. Body, mind, and spirit. We came to the conclusion, if if humans are Trinitarian, have mind, body, and spirit, but, and that this, if this means the image of God, and if angels do not have the image of God, what do they have? If they're not Trinitarian... Okay, so first of all, we know they have a spirit, because they're called spirits. They can have a body, as we know happened with, uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, we know what happened when they appeared to Moses, I mean, not Moses, but to Abraham and ate with him. They, so, so they can, they can obtain a physical form. So, they have those two check. But I actually had this this conversation with um, one of my with my theology professor at college, where I was like, "Wait a second. So does that mean that the angels don't have a mind?" I put this into perspective with with um, I'm cutting it down. I was like, "So when the angel when 
Azazel in Isaiah chapter 14 was filled with pride. Is pride a thought or an emotion? Because emotions can be felt in the spirit. Perhaps is this why angels, when they fall, they can't, quote-unquote, change their mind. They can't become good again because they never had a mind in the first place. Thoughts? Well, I, I mean, we know that angels are going to be judged, and um, I can't see why they would be judged if there wasn't um, some decision-making uh, um or some they can make a decision but they they can make a decision but they can't quote unquote change their mind well no i don't know why they would change their mind well well i mean that's a that's a huge thing in that we see in movies and stuff like that they, right. we have we we have fallen angels weeping and crying about how they, god won't forgive them for their sins but you know it, even if you look into things like catholic doctrine they in in the uh, catechism of of the Catholic Church, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's uh, it says that the 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 idea, the theory there is that the fallen angel's sin is quote unquote irrevocable, in that they are sorry for their sins, they don't want to um, change their mind, but why? Why, when they sin, they do not want to be forgiven? Because perhaps once they once their mind, once their spirit has made this decision, quote-unquote, to fall. They can't, they don't have a mind in which they can come around. Right. What what we're trying to say, everybody take a deep breath, okay? Literally, the word you're talking about is psyche in the Greek. Okay, so take a deep breath. What Aaron's trying to say is, is these things are complete emotion. Okay, so they don't, they're not wishy-washy. Do you understand? They're full throttle, full time. So with them, there is no mind with which later to calculate what they have done and change their minds. They don't have they do not have psyche. They are full throttle, full time. Let's take for example poltergeists. I believe poltergeists are demons. Demons are disembodied spirits. They don't have bodies. And if they don't have a body, and I theorize, do they not have a mind either? Because they don't have, you know, a brain or anything. So, do, so do they don't have a, a mind to which to think. And going from there, demons are poltergeists are known to are almost they're they're explosive. They randomly just start messing things up, start throwing things, breaking things, attacking people violently. Yeah, just I think the better the description is a disembodied flesh because it's nothing more than just the expression of of um, desires is is literally yeah, what yeah. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying that they are that that that, that, that demons are angels. I, I don't believe that. Right. But um, I'm, I'm saying that they, since they don't have a mind, this is a perfect example of how angels might be. They are they. Out of explosive emotion, they do things like that rashly, and I, and then I theorized, what if this is why demons possess people, so they they can use their mind? I think they, I think they're again, I think it's a disembodied uh, desires, and it's using a body to be able to express those desires. <laughs> right. right, that's how right. I see it. 
it is a vehicle for those emotions. Right, exactly. Yeah, before we hit the top of the hour, I I just want to say what I was getting at was, is that perhaps what what Satan wants in making this false messiah is to get the image of God from Adam. So that he is complete, he is Trinitarian, he has the mind, body, and spirit in one, as well as being genetically an angel. Yes, and the false prophet is what provides the body, the psyche. I know, it's enough to take your breath away. Well, you could say free will. I mean, I, I think another way to say what Aaron is saying is is that we know that a third of the hosts of heaven were pulled down because of Satan's fall, right? It doesn't imply that they had a choice in the matter. And um, perhaps what the angels are trying to uh, reverse engineer is that choice, the ability to right. have choice. Right, the choice. The choice. The ability to regulate those explosive emotions. <laughs> uh, by the way, Aaron, top of the hour, we're already a half hour past that. So, yeah, we're we're way down the road. But uh, this must have been because I had to call back in. I'm seeing something else. <laughs> yep, yep. You're on call part two. So, I hope everybody just just comes to grips with what we've covered tonight absolutely flies in the face of the entertainment industry. Absolutely flies in the face of the entertainment industry. And if that's what gets your gold, by all means, go entertain yourself. But you seriously need to consider Psalm 60, Psalms 108, and you better take a serious look at the apocalypse of Isaiah. You better figure out what that is really quick. But I've already given you two chapters of it. Isaiah chapter 24, they illicitly quote from that God splits the earth and it wobbles and only he can shore up its breaches. Then when it's talking about the the beloved being delivered, that is Isaiah chapter 26. You, You need to come to grips with that. That's real. And that is what's going to happen. Your flights of fancy is going to do nothing but burn your britches. What's the what's the huge uh, problem with nowadays? Like my dad is constantly having to combat with the uh, notions that people obtain from uh, the entertainment industries, from movies, from books. This type of thing is done all the time, and it confuses the crap out of people. I, I've, I've 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 seen this before because uh, this movie will say this one thing about the future, and then this movie will say another thing. Just because it's talking about the Bible doesn't mean that it's interpreting it correctly. It's interpreting it in a fictional manner by which works with its own story. I mean, just so you know, there's nowhere in theology that Supernatural's idea of Satan being in the quote-unquote cage, that's not in anywhere in theology. That's just in Supernatural, so Supernatural could make as many seasons as it as it had, because it could, it could it could be about a bunch of keys that could open the gates. They did that for for purposes of of their own storyline. It's it's not in scripture. So so and with the omen, they did that because it was it was, they thought it was a creepy story to put in a horror movie. You know, it's it's there. There's a line people need to 
draw between fiction and reality. And I've seen this before. I've even seen um, movies get scripture wrong. Like they, they will take, they'll, they'll say they're quoting from the Bible and then they'll take it out of context, mix things up and, you know, make it say what they want, basically. And I've seen that specifically in the uh, Sleepy Hollow show that they, that they did that. And I was like, that's not what scripture says. And you guys have it all wrong. It's, it's just, it's just a story people. And, and there's a line between fiction and, <laughs> and, and the way that the scripture actually says, if you want to know what the scripture says, look it up. It's right in front of you. Amen. Amen to that son. Well, Ben, your closing comments, please. Um, I'll just encourage the listener to consider that this is not a trivial matter. If you look at creation, um, you know we have a principle called Newtonian physics. If I throw a baseball, you can calculate its trajectory based off of how much force um, I transfer into the ball. And if we talk about animals, animals function the exact same way. Literally the only thing in creation that I'm aware of that actually has a choice 24-7, 365 would be human beings. So as we sit here and we talk about what the armies in, in heaven uh, and what the princes which are adjudicating this um, this creation may or may not be doing, you might want to consider that, that the thing that you have, that choice – is a whole lot more important and proprietary than, than you're giving it uh, credit for. Um, you actually have a choice. Um, penguins will literally freeze to death, starve to death, trying to keep their eggs warm. You will see all kinds of things in creation. You'll see, you'll see animals out on the prairie defending their young. They'll go up against animals that are three, four, five, six times as large, completely outnumbered to defend their young because it's hardwired in their brain to do that. And you're the only thing in this creation from the atoms on up that actually has a choice in the matter. You get to choose at every single moment what it is that you're going to do. That's really not a trivial thing. And in fact, much of our theology goes to that fundamental question, the question of choice. Did you choose to become a Christian, or was that choice made for you? I mean, this is a huge, huge question, and we're just approaching it from a different way. But it's good to be with you guys. Um, thank you for spending the time, and um, I wish everybody uh, Godspeed. All right, Aaron, your closing comments, please. I think I've already given my closing comments. Yeah, it was good to it's good to talk with you guys, and you know, thanks for waking me up like five minutes before you go on the show. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Everyone, I was like, I was like, Aaron, are you well, ready? And I just I just look up from my bed, and I'm like, I just groan, and he's like, We're going on in five. Oh oh oh. Oh. <laughs> the bleeding heart here. Let me quote. Let me quote, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you the truth. Text sent at 3.02 a.m. last night. Psalm, <laughs> Psalm yeah. 50, verse 7. 
So uh, why was I waking you up, son? Yeah, because you <laughs> sent me this text. You'd finally figured it out all this At time. At 3 o'clock a.m., yeah. <laughs> 3.02 a.m., so now the truth be known. So, Hey, hey Ben, did you, did you know them? You were having a conversation with my dad on the phone earlier today. He was on my bed, and I was laying down under my blankets. <laughs> I inferred it uh, because he said that you guys were still asleep, but but I have a question yeah, for like, you. Did, you, did like, you have fun tonight talking about this stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're like, you're like, you asked my dad, you were like, what do you think, Aaron? And I was like, uh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was good talking to you guys. Um, uh, good doing another Bible study. I could do this all the time if I if I wanted to. But yeah, well, you probably get that from somewhere, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's extremely edifying. My daughter's a bit younger than Aaron, and um, we have deep conversations. But uh, it is truly a blessing to be able to watch a father and his son interact. And have these conversations, um, it really gives me something to look forward to. Yeah. And and Ben really appreciates that Aaron repeatedly interrupts me and gets away with it, and he can't yeah. do that. But. Uh... <laughs> Amen. Well, what happens is, is I wait for you to say for a space to say something, and then you start talking again. Uh huh. So you That's find what the perfect. Happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is how it's done. This is what's important. I have not taught my son statistics about the New York Yankees. That'll kill him. Do you understand that? That will kill him. I love my son. I have not taught him your distractions nor your entertainment. And the spirit of the Lord my God has gripped him so much it drives him to the deep of the night. Riddling it unto himself, writing it upon his, you know, just passing forth some messages back and forth uh, lightly on Facebook uh, with a sister near and dear to my heart about this Gringo Landia. Well, now they've come up with a new one. Um, these grandparents are fleeing the United States and and leaving the collapse to their grandchildren because you know the cost of living is so cheap uh in Vietnam so they've and you need to look that up Gringolandia um they've written a book about it they know it's happening um all these people are retiring but they know if they go to Mexico they can live like kings so the government is just being li look what i'm trying to say is this all you grandparents need to stay here and defend your grandchildren's future but why do you routinely – I see you routinely. This is like a huge bumper sticker. I am spending my grandchildren's inheritance. I see that bumper sticker all the time. Who told you to flee the coming wrath? And, oh my goodness, so dastardly as to leave your grandchildren behind. Well, the Lord, he is faithful. I know you don't believe it, but he is faithful, and you're going to get what you got coming. Oh, yes, you will. You're going to get a kick out of him. Because when he gets up, everybody's going to fall on their face. Because he is God. And besides him, there is no other. And he is my God. <laughs>
will. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.